Welcome to Ticket Splitters, the Grassroots Midwest podcast. I'm particularly excited about this week's episode of Ticket Splitters because it hits pretty close to home for a lot of folks at Grassroots Midwest. Completely by happenstance, the majority of the current and former employees and partners at our firm have been Roman Catholics. Our firm was founded by two Catholics, including myself, and so it's my great pleasure to welcome to Ticket Splitters Paul Long, president of the Michigan Catholic Conference, and Tom Hickson, vice president for public policy and advocacy. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us. Adrian, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys coming on. I want to start out, start things out um, sort of light and just sort of talk a little bit about the organization and what the conference does. Uh, Paul, tell us about the mission of the uh, Michigan Catholic Conference and how you and your team work to achieve it. Well, Adrian, the Michigan Catholic Conference was formed in the early 1960s, um, flowing from the Constitutional Convention in which there were three lay Catholic uh, men who uh, kind of... uh, uh, watched after the Constitutional Convention uh, for Catholic issues and for issues that the church might be concerned with. Um, and that effort went so well. Uh, the bishops were very impressed by the individuals, the, the lay individuals who were uh, articulating the Catholic message in, in a way, in the Catholic viewpoint, in a way that they found to be um, very helpful and credible for the church, um, that they thought that the creation and formation of a broad-based conference to represent the spectrum of issues uh, important to the church was important to do. And so in 1963, the Michigan Catholic Conference was was created and formed. And it's with the principal focus on being the public policy advocacy voice for the Catholic Church throughout the state of Michigan. Uh, So the the church's positions were presented with one voice um, on the array of issues of concern to the church. And after a time that worked was working so well and, and seemed to be working so well that the role of the conference, the mission of the conference expanded. And so um, in, in this day and age, um, the conference is also, aside from its, its, its primary role of advocacy, it's also an uh, important role of centrally administering on behalf of the Catholic Church throughout the state of Michigan, all employee benefits for people who work for the church, mm-hmm. um, and then a, a, a um, overseeing a uh, risk management program uh, with regard to property casualty liability issues, um, uh, working to ensure that um, our, our the properties throughout the state and our, our parishes and our schools are following important risk management procedures, um, and, sure. and then in working with our, the, the insurance company and the reinsurer to ensure that, that, that all is going well. So the primary, the mission is of the conference is is to um, uh, speak to uh, and promote a social order that uh, respects the dignity of the human person. That uh, through the through public policy advocacy uh, and through the administration of benefit and risk management services for the common good of everyone in the state. Yeah. Um. And that's, I, I've gotten to know the organization, obviously, like I said, a lot of folks that, that work at Grassroots Midwest are, are Catholics. A lot of our former employees are, are Catholics. And I got to know you guys even before we started our firm. Um, yeah, Paul, you were in the role that Tom's in now um, uh, when I got to know you in the legislature. And so I sort of came to know the organization through its advocacy work. And I've learned a lot more um, over the years about the sort of service provision um, aspect of that. Um, and, you know, the, the property management um, uh, aspect of that as well. So, Tom, um, you know, besides the services that, uh, that Paul mentioned, um, obviously the primary purpose of the conference is advocacy work in the public policy space in Lansing. 
Um, so I think our listeners would be interested to hear about uh, what I think is a pretty diverse set of issues that the conference in, engages on um, in the public policy process. So what are some of those things that are sort of bread and butter issues that you guys engage on? Well, you're exactly right, Adrian. It is a very diverse set of issues, and we've got to work with stakeholders all across the spectrum from the left side of the aisle to the right side and everybody in between. Uh, Paul talked about the dignity of the human person. Um, that is central to our mission, right. um, whether that's uh, before someone is born and they're a child in the womb up until after uh, someone has completed their life uh, and then everything in between. And right now we've got a bunch of different diverse issues we're working on, not only policy-wise, but also with the budget. Mm -hmm. And then also on trying to gather petitions yeah. uh, here in the state of Michigan. I'll start there. Um, right now we are looking to try to prohibit a gruesome abortion procedure called dismemberment abortion. And we're in the process of working collaboratively throughout all the parishes in the state of Michigan to gather signatures to ban that practice because we don't think right now um, that can happen uh, given the current makeup of the legislature and the governor's office for them to collaborate. We have to use this process to get that done. Right, the voter-initiated law. Voter-initiated law, exactly. And that's something that, you know, we think we're uh, on target to do that. And it remains to be seen, um, you know, the next couple of months how, how much more momentum we can get, but we're, we're right on, on track. Um, other issues, you know, the budget is something that's impacting everybody in town. Of course. Uh, we're, not, we're not exempt from that. You know, we certainly are pursuing some things that we think will help people, whether it's uh, children in our, in our schools to, to be safe and make sure the state can, you know, if they're requiring us to do a fire drill or make sure the kids are all immunized or have background checks, well, that's something, you know, the state has, in its wisdom, seen the last few years to pay for these mandated services. We want to see that in there. And uh, we also want to try to help um, pregnant mothers uh, get a chance to, if they're in a crisis pregnancy, to get a chance to have some counseling to help them through that and make sure services are provided for them um, down the line. So those are some important things in the budget. As far as policy issues, uh, we've got a lot of them. And again, they run the gamut. Um, today was a big day for us with uh, moving of the raise the age package, something we've worked right. on for five years. And um, you know, really something that we think is going to be a good criminal justice reform, um, as well as looking at the aspects of payday lending uh, oh, sure. and, and yep. whether we can try to make sure that the, any type of a policy in that regard is going to be protective of people and not take advantage of people, um, you know, that really uh, can get caught in some kind of a negative cycle of debt. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, that, that's great. And I think that just from from my own experience with the uh, with the conference, I think that's a pretty good cross section of the really diverse set of issues um, that you guys work on. Um, and there, there's a ton more uh, for our listeners. Um, just having engaged with the Catholic Conference on a whole bunch of stuff, you know, knowing both of you guys. Um, I, I think that's uh, maybe even selling it a little short in terms of the diversity of issues that you guys engage um, on, on a, a really regular basis. Well, you could throw immigration into there, right? seniors, uh, helping children, foster care, adoption. I mean, you name it. We're trying to look out for every stage of life and make sure that people, the policies that come to the state legislature and Congress are respectful of the dignity of humans. Sure. And take care of people. Sure. Um, so, Tom, when we met, uh, you were working as an advocate for a different membership organization. Um, you've held a number of different positions in and around the policy process. Um, what drew you to working for the conference, and, and does your approach differ as an advocate for a religiously affiliated organization um, versus your previous work with city counties? 
Yeah, there there's certainly some similarities, but there are some pretty significant differences. I was honored to be asked to come to work for the conference and really was blessed to have a chance to work for the county Association of Counties with some really good people yeah. um, and work on some good issues over there. Um, it really just was an honor, though, to, to be able to lobby and represent and advocate um, for something you agree, uh, particularly something as personal um, as your own faith. Right. And to be able to, to do that is uh, is a, is um, I'm lucky to do that every day. At the counties, I, I, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, the issues are very different, sure. and the approaches are very different. Um, you know, at, at the Michigan Association of Counties, you've, you're dealing with local government, and a lot of what I found was it's an awareness campaign, yeah. making people aware of what does your county really do, and what, why does it matter, and then how is the best way to accomplish that. Sure. So there's several steps along the way to try to get some, um, someone educated to vote for the way you want to, whether it's on a county jail reimbursement, some complex revenue sharing formula, road funding, um, you name it. With um, the Catholic Conference, it's a little bit different. Yeah. We're talking about issues that you could pretty much knock on any door in a neighborhood, and at least one of the issues I'm working on, people are going to have an opinion on it. They're already going to know about it. You don't have to educate them on what the issue is. You just have to try to motivate people mm-hmm. and try to strategize on what's the best approach. And you skip, you're skip. you not having to do so much raw education in the nitty-gritty details of a tax formula or something like that. Yeah, It's more hot-button, flashpoint issues um, that people kind of have visceral reactions to, whether it is the life issue, whether it is um, immigration, or whether it is trying to make sure kids are safe. Um, some people don't like the way you go about it, and it becomes pretty... Uh, pretty heated, but uh, for the most part, we work together uh, in both of these roles. You work with you know different allies, and you try to strategize and present your best face and do the best you can. Yeah, yeah, and that's um, to a certain extent that's advocacy everywhere. But I do think it's interesting, um, as you pointed out, a lot of the issues that the conference engages on, people already have an opinion. People already have some level of awareness of the issues, even if they're not what you might consider an expert on them. They've heard about the issue, they've developed an opinion about it. Um, and then you, you know, it's your job to engage with those folks um, to try and get them to participate in the process or... Find um, the right timing, find the right strategies, that yeah. sort of a thing. More of a high, kind of a higher level or more of a macro approach, maybe. Yeah, that, that sounds right. Um, so at Grassroots Midwest, we're big proponents of civic engagement. Obviously, that includes politics. We do a lot of politics. Um, philanthropy, community building. Um, so, Paul, I'm interested to get your thoughts about translating the social mission of the church into action in our communities. Um, what's the role for individual Catholics and Catholic families in improving their communities? Well, the church calls upon all of us to be engaged, you know, as you say, Adrian, in, in a civil way. It calls upon us to be engaged in, in, in the civic life of our, of our local communities and our larger, uh, broader society, uh, in our neighborhoods. Um, people can be involved in all kinds of different ways. They can be involved in volunteering it in the local soup kitchen, in the local homeless shelter, in the local hospice. Um, you know, there are hospices that, for instance, the Mother Teresa House here in Lansing is a, is yeah. a fully, um, uh, you know, volunteer organization. 
mm-hmm. um, except for the, the director. Mm-hmm. And so it relies on volunteers that come in and help those who are at the end stages of life. Um, volunteering with uh, in a whole host of ways for a whole host of different kind of nonprofit organizations, Catholic charity organizations, um, being engaged in that way, being engaged in local government, yeah. uh, being being an advocate for certain issues at the local government uh, level, um, uh, or running for office and being involved in in, in, in whether it's the school a local school board or a city council or county commission, being involved in those kinds of areas in, in running for office in the state legislature. There's a whole host of, of ways that people can be engaged. It's a matter of how does one feel, uh, what does one feel most comfortable with? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then secondly, we have to understand that when we are engaging in that way, the church calls upon us to be, um, you know, that we're not bifurcated as people. That you know, we right. worship on Sunday. Um, we go to Mass on Sunday as Catholics. Um, and we're called upon to be Catholic for that time while we're at Mass on Sunday and throughout the entire week. Right, also the other six days. And, 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 and that's right. We're not, you know, we, we, don't right. Check, we don't check what we believe at the door right. um, just because we're engaged in the broader fabric of society. Um, and, and so what we believe should carry us throughout our days, every day. Um, and that means being engaged in civil society. It means being engaged in the ways we just talked about. Um, but it also means bringing that faith to you and, and engaging people in, in, in what we believe and not hiding it or saying, well, I believe this, but I can't bring this into my public, my public life. Right. Yeah. And that's been um, it's always a very interesting thing, you know, both professionally where we work with a lot of groups and individuals that are trying to get involved politically or some other way um, or just in you know some of the volunteer work that I do in my own community. Um, you know, the, there are a lot of folks that feel like, well, I don't know how to make a difference. And I think it's really important to emphasize for people that, you know, you don't have to run for president to make a difference. You don't have to run for anything. I mean, for some people, that's what they're called to do, or they feel comfortable with it, or they can take time away from their work to do it. Um, but, you know, you can join a civic organization. You can organize a food drive in your neighborhood. Um, you'd be surprised uh, what a warm reception you get when you go knock on your neighbor's doors and say, hey, we're going to do X for kids. Do you want to help out? Or for seniors or for, you know, for any number of issues or groups of people, you'd be surprised how warm a reception you get from people, people who are completely different from you. When you just walk up to them and say, hey, you know, we're, we're going to do this thing. You, you want to be involved in that? Um, and there are all sorts of great groups that people can join, you know, if they're, if they're maybe not comfortable being right out front or taking on a leadership role right away. Um, and so I think it's, it's really important, you know, for Catholics and frankly, for everybody else to, um, find a way to be involved. Um, you know, the, the smallest things that you do can make a huge difference and you don't have to have a lot of money. Um, you know, the, it cost me five bucks to go have breakfast at the Optimist Club every Wednesday morning. It's a little early, 630 is a little much for some people, but, uh, you know, there are, there are plenty of other civic groups that meet at noon or meet after work. And, you know, what do we do with the Optimist? We raise money for kids, right? Um, for programming for kids, um, the high school kids, we put on a youth sports day. There are little ways like that. That takes about an hour out of my week, other than, you know, if we're putting on an event, I'll go volunteer at it, that sort of thing. Um, you really don't have to have a lot of time or a lot of money to have a, a pretty big impact in your community and uh, help others see how they can do it, too. No, that's very true. I mean, we're, we all have the opportunity and the ability to change this. Late, the, the most recent polling I heard talked about on the radio this morning that 62% of the people of Michigan think that the nation as a whole is headed in the wrong direction. 
And the, the pollster pointed out that people in Michigan have thought that for decades, yeah. that we're heading in the wrong direction. So you know, just because of what's presently happening now, people might, you know, by a few percentage points, think it's more headed in the wrong direction than, than, than maybe six months ago or a year ago. Um, but nonetheless, um, how do we make life better? Right. And how do we make life better for our families, for our neighbors, for our communities? Um, it's to be engaged and it's to be uh, involved uh, in one form or another. Right. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's so important, and it's um, particularly in the 21st century with you know we're we're all on our phones all the time. There's every opportunity to disengage, right? To be distracted, to find something else to do besides engaging with your fellow human beings. And I think that to a certain extent, socially, we're a lot poorer for it. Absolutely. I mean, go as far as, you know, how many people talk to their neighbors anymore? I know, you know, around here, maybe there are a lot of people that know their neighbor um, sometimes, but um, you need to be engaged. Uh, The world's run by those who show up. And, you know, just look at uh, something as simple as voting. As Catholics, we're called to be faithful citizens, as Paul was pointing out. And part of that is educating yourself. And kind of evaluating your conscience and looking at the various issues and making a determination of how you vote. But Adrian, you've been around forever you know, around this this town and, and public policy and politics. And how many times have we seen a primary election, even for the state house of representatives, be decided by like a half dozen votes? Yeah. It's not it's not all the time, but it happens a lot. And, and then you get people that say, "Well, I don't want to vote. My vote doesn't count. Yeah. You know, it's not going to matter." Well, it does truly matter. And the same thing if you're involved in a local charity or uh, just a, like you said, maybe even an informal neighborhood type of a thing where you're kind of engaging with your neighbors, communicating and trying to work together to solve a problem. I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, a lot of times it really is just as simple as going out of your way to welcome people. Um, and you'd be amazed the uh, interesting and sometimes funny things that you learn about people when you make that little bit of extra effort to go out and, you know, welcome strangers and things like that. The, um, it turns out I have a neighbor named Attila. Never would have known that um, if me and the missus hadn't gone next door to meet the new neighbors that just bought the, uh, the next door neighbor's house. Um, you know, uh, Sharon and Attila are our new neighbors. Um, never would have known that. But, uh, you know, you go out, you meet people, and you learn fun and interesting things all the time. Um, now, our own experience here has been that a lot of people are skeptical about their own uh, ability to make a difference. Um, you know, we've talked about some ways that... Um, that you can get started with that, Tom. I know you know you're doing the uh, you're doing the lead role on advocacy um, for the conference now. Catholics are a really diverse group of people. Um, we're diverse in terms of our politics, in terms of race and ethnicity, a whole bunch of other factors. Um, do you find that the that diversity is a sort of help or a hindrance in your advocacy work? Is it a bit of both? I think it's absolutely hundred percent a help in the, yeah. in the advocacy work. Yeah, because. Catholics, by and large, reflect the makeup of our country. Yeah. Um, the cool thing about it is there's the shared tradition mm-hmm. of being Catholic. Not everybody goes to Mass every weekend, but they have that shared culture. Uh, and you can always have an open door communicating, I've found, through this. Now, not everybody's going to vote every way you want all the time of course. Uh, from our perspective. But the nice thing is um, it gives you an entree, gives you an ability that you have a, um, a connect connection. Right, right off the right off the bat, yeah. um, you know somebody in, in their faith tradition. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. It's um, it is pretty remarkable how that works, and uh, 
maybe some of this is just because of how old the Catholic Church is, uh, because there's so much tradition behind it. You know, I had the experience last year. uh, My aunt does a lot of uh, charitable work in uh, Africa, particularly in East Africa. And um, it's amazing the sort of cultural context that comes to bear when you meet someone from a completely different part of the world, but you have this sort of shared tradition um, that comes from Catholicism that allows you to engage with somebody almost immediately, right? Because there's, you know, a couple thousand years behind you of tradition. You know, I, I met a priest from Rwanda named Alphonse Twizaramana. Like, there's really no reason <laughs> that we should have much in common, but there's that 2,000 plus years of history behind us that, yeah, we got something to talk about pretty much right away. If you go to Mass in Africa or Spain or Bay City or Monroe, yeah. it's the same. Yeah. And if you go to those other countries or different cities... Catholics involved in trying to help the poor? Of course they are. Are they involved in educating people? Of course. Uh, hospitals, charitable agencies, you name it. We have that tradition. Paul, I don't know if I'm leaving anything out, but I mean, that's a really important thing, and I think that people identify that, and it makes at least my job a little easier. For instance, today we're talking about payday lending, and you know, talking about, well, this is the only tool out there to help people that are in a pinch for cash and I was able to say no we got St. Vincent de Paul right down the street here offering 3% loans teaching financial literacy all the all the while and helping these people um, get out of a, tr- a pinch truly but with a faith component and with a um, helping hand component as opposed to you know maybe other other reasons so well and and, and there's nothing wrong with 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 businesses making a dollar but no. there's also an issue with regard to um, what are we doing for the least among us? And how are we yeah. caring for those who are on the margins of society? And do we pray on those who are on the margins or do we help to lift them up um, so that they can be better, so that they can um, uh, be, be as, as uh, productive as they would choose to be, so that they can be as active in society as they would like to be um, and not be always uh, down and out. Uh, and so the notion of what places like the St. Vincent de Paul Society do and other charitable uh, uh, faith-based organizations like it uh, to try to lift people up and help them, give them a helping hand, um, is exactly what we want um, throughout society. When you had my role, Paul, what was the experience of you working with diverse the diversity of Catholics in the Michigan legislature? Well, it was. I mean, it, you know, you had all people all over the map you know, with regard to with regard to Catholics in the legislature, and you know, we we approach each we approach each we've always approached each legislator like we approach like we're taught to approach every human being. You know, everyone's made in the image and likeness of God, and there's a connection there with everyone in one form or fashion. And and we've always sought, from a Catholic conference perspective, we've always sought to develop relationships based on where we have a common ground, where we have a common fit. And it's, 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 and while our faith um, helps us to have that common fit, there's, there are, you know, we're doing beyond the fit, we're doing it that's exactly right. Because we're not just engaged in, in working with Catholic legislators, we're engaged with legislators across the board um, from, from all different kinds of faiths, those that have no faith at all. Sure. And, and so, but we approach everyone with that same notion that everyone is made in the image and likeness of God and, and is ultimately deserves uh, our ultimate respect. Absolutely. Well, and that's, uh, I think that's a great lead into my next question, right? Which is uh, beyond even politics, 
Um, there's an air of toxicity in culture and discourse in our country right now um, that seems to be poisoning darn near everything, right? Poisoning friendships, social relations, you know, even, even Thanksgiving dinners. You hear about this every year. Um, so what, what do you see as the road back? I mean, how, how do Americans engage one another about their most strongly held beliefs without just attacking one another when they disagree. I mean, you guys have got to do a lot of that in your advocacy role. Tom, you now, and, and Paul, you in the past. Um, you guys have to do a lot of that. What, what's the road back for Americans from this just toxic stew we've got going in culture right now? I think the most important thing, and you do hear a lot of people talking about this, but it's about building relationships. It's about forming common bonds. And, you know, I, I saw where... Um, uh, State Senator Curtis Rattel recently talked about, referenced his father, um, who was a, a great legislator um, yeah. here in Michigan and a, and, a, and a great man. But Senator Hertel was talking about the notion of you know being able to have conversations with people, being able to have a beer with people. And it is about that, but it's about building those relationships. And if you have relationships built up, if you have an understanding of where people stand, regardless of where you come from, regardless of how you think about any particular issue. But if you have that relationship, it gives you something to work from and to work for. And so, you know, I go back and I think of uh, in the mid-90s, we were working on uh, the state was focused on uh, working on uh, advancing welfare reform and right. changing the way uh, the, the state was providing welfare benefits, uh, assistance, public assistance to those um, who, who, who need it. And there was a movement at the time to uh, restrict um, single women from being able to obtain uh, a, a benefit, um, uh, more of a benefit, if they had additional children than the children that they already had. Right. Well, we viewed that as an incentive to abort the child um, mm -hmm. if, there was, if a woman was pregnant. Um, and but and and so you had us on one side of this conversation, and 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 then joining us in advocating against this mm -hmm. was uh, State Representative Maxine Berman, um, <laughs> who um, was one of the most ardent um, pro-choice, pro-abortion legislators in 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 the legislature at that time and maybe since. Maybe since. <laughs> um, and, and, and you know and and. And Representative Berman and, and myself and, and members of our, our team at the conference um, and, and others um, fought, fought that provision. And, and, and Governor Engler did not support it, um, in part because of our conversations and, and, and our advocacy and because of his own belief that that, that wasn't the right way to go. Um, and so the, the provision wound up coming out of, yeah. what, of the final version that passed the House. And, and uh, many years later, when um, uh, Maxine was working for Governor Granholm, I, I, and we were driving to a, um, uh, after a meeting, we were together in the car, and I referenced that, that uh, working together in that. And, and she said that was one of the, her, her funnest moments in the legislature. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that, you know, but that doesn't happen without building relationships. That doesn't happen with her knowing where we stand on a whole array of different kinds of issues and saying, you know, I'm going to reach out to the conference. I'm going to reach out to Paul and we'll talk this through and see right. if we can have common ground and work on this together. Yeah, I, I, that, that makes so much sense to me. And it's, it's nearly impossible to do that with strangers, right? Um, you, you can't build up that level of trust or even understanding of what's important to another person, even if, you know, as in that example, 
a lot of the things that were important to you and important to Representative Berman were very, very different, but you knew what they were, and she wasn't a stranger, and so you could approach each other and work together on an issue, and those are some of the, the best things that you get to work on. Exactly. And, you know, for us, from our perspective, it wasn't avoiding uh, Representative Berman in, you know, in, 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 because of where she stood on abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't avoiding, you know, Representative Perry Bullard because of where he stood on a whole array of different issues. Um, it wasn't avoiding uh, uh, Representative Margaret O'Connor because of her, her, you know, her different approach on how we should care for uh, the, the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, come, you know, making sure that we worked with everybody um, so such that, um, you know, when you had issues of common ground, you're able to do that. And I think the notion, Adrian, back to the original question on our social discourse, mm-hmm. um, is that we shouldn't avoid people and we shouldn't avoid conversing with people simply because they disagree with us on naming the issue. Yeah. Um, that we should seek out um, and try to, to understand and know each other mm-hmm. um, before... You know, in the end, you may still think that you don't want to talk with that person, mm-hmm. um, but you, you can't say no before you've had that opportunity to have that dialogue, to have that discussion. It feels like all too often there's a rush to judgment um, in the lobbying community, in just people in general. Yeah. And now we have term limited lawmakers that's been entrenched for a long time here, and it's harder to get to know people um, in that way. You've got to make an effort, um, but it's always important to, to know, and, and, you know, hey, we're all... <laughs> I'll speak for myself. You know, I, I've been victim of this too, where you think you know where somebody is, and then you really don't. Yeah. And the way somebody uh, might represent on one issue does not define that person. Right. You know, you can have you can have common ground, and I think Paul, you mentioned a very good example, and we've got countless examples of that. And, you know, we're lucky to, at the conference to be able to, if we can't work with you on this one, we can work with you on the next one. Right. And it's you know pretty much. Um, like clockwork, you know, and, and it's varies from week to week and issue to issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, it, I, I think as you alluded to, it's, it's bigger than just politics. I mean, I think that as a method for engaging and doing political advocacy, that's exactly right. But I think that that's right just in general, you know, in our social relations with other people. And, you know, I alluded to the technology issue before. I think it's very easy um, on your phone or on a computer to just sort of lob insults or, you know, do, um, do this sort of performance about why someone, you know, some political side, some organization is just bad because you disagree with them about an issue, including an issue that's extremely important to you. And um, I don't think it's, we, we don't get very far when we just sort of dismiss people or throw them in the trash, right? Um, that doesn't get us very far towards the sort of society that we all want to live in. The example I always use, and and this sort of demonstrates how hard that can be sometimes, is Derek Black, um, you know, son of a former head of the Ku Klux Klan in this country. Um, Derek Black's an anti-racism activist now, um, and he didn't become an anti-racism activist because people were screaming at him about how he was bad, um, about how his father was bad, and his whole life he'd been groomed to lead since he was a very little boy about how that was evil. Um, he started being brought around because he got invited to dinner um, by an Orthodox Jewish kid that went to the same college as him, um, invited him to come to his home for dinner. Um, and then he invited him again the next week. And he invited him again the week after that. And then started inviting some of his other friends. 
Um, and, you know, that sort of engagement with someone who had, you know, what I think everybody around this table would agree were repellent views. But, you know, going that extra mile, reaching out to that person instead of just dismissing him, throwing him in the trash. That's the reason why, you know, young Mr. Black is out there, you know, advocating explicitly against those repellent things um, that he was taught to believe from the youngest of ages. You know, you don't you don't see that sort of change in an individual or in a society by just dismissing people, by throwing them in the trash. You see that sort of change when you engage and you try to find the humanity um, you know, the common ground with that other person. Um, so that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about the approach from the conference is that, you know, look, there are going to be disagreements. We're always going to disagree about stuff. But like you said, Tom, I'm always going to be back. And if we can't figure it out on this one, I'll be back to figure it out on the next one. Absolutely. And boy, that was a remarkable story. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that with us. And, uh, you know, it's something that I would encourage you, any of the listeners to Look at this story from the Washington Post from a few years ago, and you know, that's an occasion of a, of a of a man, a young man that put in the work and took the time, yeah, and had an open mind, yeah. And even though his mind was almost um, trained to not be open, yeah, he couldn't help but have it opened by looking at his own eyes and right. seeing what he saw. And similarly, you know, we can take the time to educate ourselves. And realize that as as people, we're we're comp- complicated, mm-hmm. and it can't be defined by one issue or another. And I'm glad what you said about the social media aspect because all too often, like you said, if somebody lobs a bomb on there, or puts out this something that gets a visceral reaction, that can stick. That can stick, mm-hmm. and people all of a sudden have that opinion locked in. When in reality, it's not that easy, and it's typically not black and white. There's nuance. And um, just because somebody disagrees with you on an issue doesn't make them a bad person. Yeah. Um, they have a reason. And yeah. maybe they need to be educated more. Maybe you need to be educated more. But um, just taking that time and just basic decency and basic kindness yeah. is, can go a long way. It really does. I mean, one of my approaches that I've sort of adopted on social media, and it's not always easy, is um, I really try to encourage people, um, including you know people who are you know lobbing bombs at me, like, Let's take this conversation offline. Like, you know, we can message on Facebook. I'll give you my cell phone number. We can text. I'll buy you lunch. I've done that a couple of times. And what's remarkable is, you know, you can leave. I've had this experience a number of times. You can leave a lunch meeting with that person, still disagreeing, um, but also disagreeing from a place of some shared principles, right? Um, You know, and I I had this, uh, you know, you brought up the abortion issue a couple of times. I think this is a great example of this where you can have a conversation with somebody and you can leave that conversation um, still disagreeing on the issue, right? But you can back up far enough um, to get to a place of a sort of shared principle, right? Um, And we might disagree about where we come down on this issue, but I understand why you think the way you do and you understand why I think the way that I do. And it's because we disagree um, about well, okay, we share this principle, but what does that actually mean in practice? And that's a lot healthier way to interact with your fellow human beings than just like, you believe differently than me, um, you know, Tom from the Michigan Catholic Conference about the abortion issue, so you're just out. Yep. You know, and I think that's, it's the harder way to do it, but it's a lot more rewarding. Absolutely. We're going to keep trying it. <laughs> hey, you know, I don't, I, there's, it, it's hard to be that way, but really there's, there's no other way to be, is, is my own view. No, I mean we we are we are created to be social people, so we should yeah. be social, right? And we should engage with each other. 
We shouldn't be shutting each other out. So what are the top priorities for the um, Catholic Conference as an organization um, in the coming year? Obviously, you know, you're, you started out as an advocacy organization and continue to be very active in the advocacy space. What are the big priorities um, for policy and advocacy uh, over the coming year? Well, we kind of we touched on a few of them at the beginning, but I think the critical raise the age is a critical one. Uh, yeah. it's Michigan has been behind the times for a long time in talking about throwing people away. Yeah. If you're 17 in Michigan or you're 17 in Indiana, that 17-year-old is treated very differently and might have a different trajectory of life mm-hmm. based on a minor crime that might have occurred when they're 17. So that's a big priority for us in the human dignity area, getting these petitions across the finish line and, and, and um, banning this abhorrent procedure of dismemberment abortion is something that's very important to us. And also, this is something, Paul, maybe you want to talk about more, but you know, we're really getting engaged and in, in, in ramped up on this census and the importance for the state of Michigan compared to the other states on that. The, the, the census and promotion of the census is going to be a big issue for us in the next six to nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, with the official kickoff of the census uh, in, in, in March or in early March, um, we'll be doing a lot to educate the Catholic population um, and hopefully the, you know, to some degree the broader population, mm-hmm. as well an array of other groups, about the importance of the census, why it's important for people to engage with the census, why it's important for people to answer the the census, um, and why it's important that every single person who is a resident in this state, who resides in this state, um, is counted. Yeah. Um, because there's a whole host of, of, of reasons from how many seats we have in Congress to how much money comes from the federal government back to the state of Michigan um, to you know how our, our, our local district uh, state legislative lines are drawn based on who lives where and, and how many. Mm-hmm. And so um, it has an impact on an array, an array of uh, broad spectrum of, of, of reasons why. And it's important for people for, to understand why the census is important, um, you know, from the historical standpoint mm-hmm. and from a practical standpoint. Yeah. We're also engaging on this budget, too. I mean, that's something we talked about early on. Right. Um, you know, you're hearing uh, news today, you know, the budget's over. And, and that. there are a lot of items out there that are common sense that we're hoping that we can get restored. We're grateful to have made it into a point on some of these items. Yeah. But we have sent to kind of follow this process. And I know, boy, back in the old days with the shutdowns and everything else, I'll probably get to that in a little bit. But, um, you know, this is kind of an unprecedented situation. And yeah. we're really hoping that cooler heads can prevail. People can agree uh, to work together collaboratively and fund those programs that will help the most vulnerable people. Yeah. And, you know, protect uh, those that need protecting. Yeah. That uh, that makes a ton of sense. And it's um, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. As you alluded to, I was uh, I, I did staff the Appropriations Committee um, during one of the last budget shutdowns. So we managed to avoid that this time. Uh, so we, we get a green check mark for that. Um, now we've just got some work to do uh, to come back and uh, maybe reevaluate some of the uh, the prioritization of funds that are out there and maybe restore funding for a few things that uh, that got vetoed. That was um I, I can't recall a time when we had that many line item vetoes of a budget. I mean, maybe Governor Engler got that high, but uh, certainly not any of the last two. No, I don't think Governor Engler. Um, I, I think that the Governor Whitmer holds record. Yeah. Um, another green uh, check mark. Another green <laughs> check mark. Um, in this regard, I don't think Governor Engler even came close to, to having um, 
this level of line item vetoes. And so it would be interesting to see how um, the governor and the legislative leadership come together and finally resolve uh, some of these issues. Um, and hopefully it won't take that long. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I think that's a lot of folks um, in the advocacy community, in the social service community, um, and a lot of other folks are, are really hopeful that something gets done in terms of some budget restoration uh, before the end of the year. Um, and I think particularly for some of those social service programs, um, you know, as we start looking forward to the Christmas holiday, I mean, the, the budget that we just passed, that's the budget that started October 1. And, um, you know, there are a lot of families out there that are reliant on some of the things that, that got vetoed or that got reprioritized at the state administrative board. And so I think a lot of people are very, very hopeful that something gets done on that in relatively short order before we get to the Christmas holiday, before we start getting into the really bitterly cold months. I mean, we're all complaining about the weather now, but worse is yet to come. Um, and, you know, for people who, who don't have secure housing situations or secure food situations or secure home heating situations, um, that's a really big deal. Um, you know, and it's, um, we don't always necessarily think about that, um, you know, because we're all fortunate to be pretty comfortable in life. But there's, um, you know, th there's some hard times coming if some of that funding doesn't get restored. Well, it's, it's, absolutely. And, you know, you touch on one issue, you know, those that are on the, uh, that, that, that receive their health care with Medicaid dollars, mm -hmm. those who, um, you know, so, uh, School children, um, in, in the, in the, depending on which building that they their parents decide to send them to, to school, and, and, and yeah. how much funding those school children receive, and whether the buildings have the funding they need for health and safety purposes, and you know, uh, 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 poor women um, who, who find themselves pregnant and need support that the state has been offering the last several years, um, that you know, that all of a sudden now a program that they're relying on while they're pregnant now. Um, these fundings now, uh, with the, the, the veto, make that a question mark as to whether they're going to receive the services that, that they received from the beginning of their pregnancy. And so all of these people um, that uh, are vulnerable in one aspect or another, um, you know, they're at risk. And, and so hopefully, as Tom said, cooler heads prevail and they do so sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And um, we, can, we can make sure that the you know, government has a responsibility um, the, the budget is a moral statement on behalf of the it state, um, and the conference has said that for, for, for a long time. And, you know, how we treat the poor and vulnerable, how we treat those who are marginalized, says a lot about us as a society, and it says a lot about us as a state. And so the notion that uh, cooler heads prevail and that the marginalized and, and those who are in need are cared for um, through this budget, um, yeah, that, that needs to happen. There's an opportunity here in the coming week or two to put a little down payment on some good faith between, I think, all the parties. And that's with this raise the age. There really isn't any opposition to this legislation anymore. Um, there might be a concern here or there. But for the most part, this seems like bread and butter uh, type of thing that you can get legislative leadership, um, hopefully the administration, uh, to all kind of see eye to eye that we need to uh, remove this archaic law, work to help reform our criminal justice system, and that's a big-time policy change. And if they can come together agree on that, then why can't they come together agree on the budget? I think it's something that could be a real positive. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, um, you know, like we were talking about earlier in a social context, um, repetition helps in any sort of social interaction, but particularly with politics, um, building up that level of trust and getting used to 
working together to achieve things. Um, you know, and so I, uh, I am hopeful that they'll be able to notch a couple of wins. I'm obviously, um, as you know, Tom, a big supporter of the Raise the Age uh, legislation and a number of other sort of corrections reforms um, for the same reasons that we've been talking about. Um, I think it's been, I think it's very easy for people to, to just sort of dismiss or throw away folks who are locked up, folks who have gotten into some trouble. Um, I, I was one of those kids um, as a young man. I got into a lot of trouble, frankly. I was very fortunate to have a big Catholic family around that was, you know, able to help pull me out of the fire slowly, um, <laughs> but you know, slowly pull me out of the fire, and I didn't end up in prison um, as I probably easily could have. You know, there are, I've heard a lot of really heartbreaking stories about young men and women, particularly young men, that have gotten into some very similar trouble to the types of trouble that I got into, um, whose prospects for, you know, a decent, prosperous life have been, you know, more or less ruined. Um, and, you know, even for, I, I may have mentioned this to you before, Tom, but even for folks who have done the worst things, um, for folks who, it, it frankly, probably isn't safe to ever release them, we still shouldn't forget about those folks. Even right. those folks shouldn't be thrown away. They're still humans. From the church's perspective, from a perspective of faith, everyone is redeemable. Right. And so you can never lose hope that even the most hardened of criminals is someone who potentially is redeemable. And, um, you know, so in this case, with regard to these, uh, those who are 17 and younger, um, it's important to make sure that we're focused on their well-being um, and the well-being of all the citizens of the state going forward because if these young people are taken care of and, and, and are able to transform their lives uh, because of being put in a different situation yeah. and just being thrown in prison uh, and their lives change as a result of it, um, it, that makes the broader society that much safer and that much better off. Yeah, and it's, I think it's particularly true with these young people, but just in general with um, the population of folks that are locked up in prisons. Most of them are going to get out. Um, and particularly with these young folks, but really with everybody, we have to ask ourselves the question, what happens then, right? Um, are people going to get out of prison and have no prospects and, and be back in prison because they're committing economic crimes? Or are we, we really going to offer a helping hand to people to get their lives back on track? And so I think that, you know, I, I commend you guys for working on the raise the age legislation. I think that that's, that's a key piece of this, right, is, is putting some prospects in front of um, these young people who, who, so that they can go out and walk the path and, they, and they've got a chance at a decent, you know, comfortable life um, and raising their own family in the future. And another issue, it speaks to another issue that we've worked on over the years with regard to prisoner reentry. Yeah. And, and, you know, how do those who have been in prison reenter society? Um, and making the pathway for them as, as smooth and as easy as possible, providing them with the tools they need to be able to reenter and then be successful um, a part of the community. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So um, we like to end every episode of Ticket Splitters with what we call war stories. Fun, amusing, bizarre stories from the world of politics, advocacy, and campaigns. Um, you're both pretty well-versed in the, in the world of politics and, uh, and government. Um, any stories you guys care to uh, share with our listeners? PG-13, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the hard part. It really is. Narrowing it down. It took me a long time to figure it out. But, Paul, why don't you go ahead and I'll shine the Well, I, you know, I'll share a story, Adrian, that... Um, speaks to the issue of, of, of building relationships again. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, uh, in the mid-90s, there, um, there was a massive movement to revise the school code. Mm -hmm. um, and 
Uh, I was over at the Capitol one evening as this debate was going on and, and watching the activity on the floor of the House of Representatives. I was up in the gallery and Representative David Gubau from um, Oak Park introduced an amendment that I just, I, my eyes lit up and I thought, oh my, you know, oh my God, this can't go through. Mm-hmm. And it just in a pro forma way, you know, was passed and, and they moved on to the to the next item in it. I, I ran downstairs and, and I was going to ask for a, 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 a particular legislator, but um, Representative Mike Griffin walked out. From, Mike was from Jackson. Mm-hmm. And um, Mike looked at me and says, what's going on? I said, do you know what you just did? Mm-hmm. And he said, no, what? I said, you just approved an amendment that had no business being approved. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, what did we do? And I said, well, and I explained that, you know, mm-hmm. this amendment put forward by Representative Gubau. And he said, oh, he said, well, Griffin looks at me and he says, well, he said, I'll go talk to David and um, and then uh, where are you going to be? I said, well, I'll be back upstairs. He goes, all right. He goes, we'll just, I'll, we'll, you know, I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. Well, so I went up to the gallery to, to watch and make sure nothing else happened because you really couldn't see what they were doing from the from the outside the house chamber or hear what they were doing at that time. Yeah. Um, and uh, the next thing I know. I, I, Representative Gubau is sitting next to me up in the gallery, <laughs> and he and he says, "Paul, I didn't mean to to, to anger the Catholics." <laughs> and, and I said, "Well, I said I don't think we're, I mean, I'm not angry." And I said, "We wouldn't be angry, but this is this amendment is unnecessary. It's redundant. Um, it, it it doesn't really have a place, and you know, it it, it relates to it was to uh, put in the school code." Uh, or what is Article 8, Section 2 that bans funding to non-public schools right. in the state constitution, it was to put it in the school code. And I explained to him that we find that language has a history and bigotry. It's one thing for it, it's, you know, we find it offensive that it's in the state constitution. To have it in the school code would be even more so. Right. And he understood that. He explained the reasons why he was, he offered the amendment. But he said, you know, Paul, he said, we'll, we'll go back and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take this out. Yeah. And he went back to the floor, and he moved to have that amendment uh, taken uh, out mm-hmm. and, uh, and revisited, and and and, um, uh, and and it was, and it was stripped from the from the, the final the final bill when it passed the house later that evening. Um, but it, you know, I just thought that you know I, Griffin was kind of clueless as to what he had voted on, as was I think the whole house because they just they just went through gabbled it. On, they yeah. gabbled on, and 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 yeah. uh, and, and yet. You know, and, and for Gubau to come up and say, "Hey, you know, let's talk about this." Um, I just think it's a it's a, a wonderful example too of uh, of the notion of relationships and and and, uh, and and having those friendships of you know him coming and saying, "No, oh, Paul, I'm sorry, you know, I, I didn't mean to, you know, uh, <laughs> mean to anger Catholics. you. Uh, we don't want to anger the Catholics. Nobody wants to anger the Catholics. <laughs> no, and that's uh, well, and that's you know, you I mean, you pointed uh, you used the words pro forma. A lot of what happens over there um, just seems like you know trains rolling down the tracks, and those relationships are often what what can slow the train down so that you can you know maybe maybe take a little different course. What about you, Tom? Well, you know, I, I've been lucky to. Um, Work for find people like Paul, the Irish tradition. They're great <laughs> storytellers. I can add Tim McGuire and sought the counsel and wisdom of Mel Larson over the years. And yeah. you know these are some fine Irish people that can really tell a story. I'm only half Irish, so I can probably only tell <laughs> a half of a, as good of a story. Uh, but you know, going back to those years um, when we had the uh, 
the shutdowns back in 07. I apologize. In 09. No, I know. And you were there. I thought you'd get a kick out of this because you were right in the throes of it. Um, but I remember one time, and, and Paul doesn't know I'm going to tell this story, but I uh, hope you're okay with it. I was sitting up in the gallery, kind of maybe the same side of the gallery where Mr. Gubau came and talked to you. Uh, but I remember the clock struck midnight. It was the second go around. Mm-hmm. And I think it was shut down for about an hour. Yep. And I remember just kind of being exasperated. I was working for the counties at the time, looking around saying, geez, I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And I kind of meant like a combination of, I got to get out of here tonight mm-hmm. and maybe just get out of this industry. Right. But also, but mostly tonight because yeah. <laughs> I was getting a little thirsty and a little, little body. But fast forward and Paul, Paul was sitting right in front of me and, you know, he heard that and we kind of chatted a little bit, but then I went home. Maybe several months later, mm-hmm. I volunteered to pour uh, beer at the St. Casmer Corn Roast. Oh, love the St. Casmer Corn Traditional, Roast. nice Polish fest down there, good corn, everything else. And, you know, about the second person that comes up to get a beer is none other than Mr. Paul Long. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I knew Paul over the years, but not nearly as well as I know him today. Um, maybe fast forward a few more months, and Paul called me up and says, you know, I want to talk to you about something and talk to me about if I was interested in working at the Catholic conference. Mm-hmm. And little did I know that he put those two together. Right. Of wanting to get out of there. Yeah. And the fact that actually I'm Catholic because I'm pouring a beer at a Catholic <laughs> festival, a beer tent. So, and that's how I got to work for the Catholic conference. Or, I mean, there's other steps in there involved, but pretty cool story. Pretty proud and grateful that uh, you heard me that day and came and found me. Oh, that's great. Um, I'm glad to hear there were some other steps involved, too. I mean, there's rigor enough, rigorous enough hiring process with the St. Cass Corn Roast and, you know, your desperation to get out of the locked-up capital. It, it was a little more, it was a little <laughs> bit more rigorous, uh, yeah, than that. It, it certainly was. Uh, I remember one interview I had years ago with uh, one of these fine Irish uh, gentlemen I mentioned basically asked me one question, mm-hmm. do you golf? <laughs> I said, yeah, he's like, you're hired. Oh, I would have. <laughs> yeah, well, here, what does that say, though? He says he wants to get out. Yeah. And I'm the one sitting in front of him and then say, Will you come, you know, you want to come work with us? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting right there with him this whole time. Yeah, you know, that's, I mean, that's the thing about us Catholics. We're mostly lifers and we recognize each other. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's been good. Been, been grateful. And, you know, a lot of different stuff happens all the time. And, you know, some of the, Best stories, hopefully, are, are here to come. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank Paul Long and Tom Hickson from the Michigan Catholic Conference for joining us on this week's uh, edition of uh, Ticket Splitters. Gentlemen, thanks so much. Thanks, Adrian. My pleasure.